Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. From Decrypt.co, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, why do we look at volume of exchanges? Well, it's because we want liquidity. And we also want trust. We want to trust that the exchange that we are using, a lot of other people are using it as well. And one way to do that is to look at the volume. But what if that volume is not telling the whole picture or is just a straight up lie? The decentralized exchange has come out of nowhere from not having much volume to compete with centralized exchanges to rivaling even the biggest, most well-known exchanges in the crypto space. But maybe there is a hidden secret. Maybe we are not looking at this with clear enough eyes. And here to talk about that is Sam Bankman-Fried, founder and CEO of FTX Exchange and now the key holder of SushiSwap. Enjoy this conversation of if Dex volume is bullshit. I will see you after the show. Hey, Sam, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Doing well, you? Excellent, excellent. So the other day you were at the LA Blockchain Conference. You said the DEX volumes were bullshit, man. I just want to know what you're com- where you're coming from with this. I want to understand maybe a little bit more about how you think or how DEXs work, how you think that the space is going to evolve. Centralized exchanges for DEXs, you have you own both of them. Uh, so <laughs> you are definitely the man to talk about all of this. So yeah, so you know, in the end, like there's a lot of definitional issues here about what makes volume real or fake. And, you know, the crypto industry has really been through this debate a bunch of times. And, you know, there are judgment calls and, and there's just questions, you know, what do you mean by a word? Um, what does real mean? Uh, but here's at least my take on it. And I think sort of the sort of, you know, consensus take that the industry ended up with at least last time by sort of by the time this whole process had played out. Um, and really the analogous thing here is trans mining. Um, so Trans mining, short for transaction mining, was a thing that was super popular on centralized exchanges, you know, a year or two ago. And basically what they did was they said, uh, all right, how about this? We've got this exchange token. Um, and, uh, you know, Fcoin was, was sort of one of the most prominent examples of this. So you know, with this, this exchange token FT, and we're going to basically pay you FT each day proportional to your trade volume. They all had different kind of wrinkles on this. Maybe there's only on some markets. Maybe there's some weird modifiers, but that, that is really the core of it, which mm-hmm. is like pay you, H, you know, FT proportional to your trade volume. And what happened, of course, was that everyone sort of opened up two accounts or, or just one account if the exchange allowed self-trading and said, all right, well, I can calculate the value of this FT and, you know, I can calculate the cost of fees and as long as, you know, if they're giving away, I don't know, whatever, you know, 10 million FT tokens per day, then they're like, well, as long as sort of, and, and you know, let's say you're being charged five basis points net fees for trading against yourself. A lot of people were like, well, as long as, uh, you know, five bips times the exchange's daily volume is less than the value of 10 million FT, 
it's sort of positive EV to go there, self-trade a bunch, pay five bips fees on all of it, and then you get dropped all of this FT, which is worth more than those five bips, sell the FT and you've made money. So basically what was happening was there's a bunch of self-trading or wash trading that was going on on these exchanges because the exchanges were just paying more for that volume than they're charging for it. You know, they're charging whatever, five basis points and they're paying 10 basis points worth of their uh... exchange token. And so if you looked at coin market cap um, and sort of sorted by volume, you got um, the top five exchanges trading $2 billion each a day. And it wasn't like Binance will be OKX, FTX, Coinbase, or something like that. You know, it, it, it was like Fcoin. I am, I'm going to forget a lot of the names of these Coinbene, Coinbina, how it's pronounced, whatever. Uh, sort of these, these, these flash in the pan exchanges that were very hot, you know, 18 months ago or so. And it was all because they're just like paying people to trade on them in their exchange token. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for a good solid six months or so, this just happened every day. And very little meaningful volume happened on these exchanges, by which I mean, if you actually said like, hey, I actually have some Tether and I want to buy Bitcoins with it, they were not a good place to go. They had no liquidity. No one was doing it there. It was just all wash traded. Hmm. Um, and then sort of the minute that the faucets turned off, you know, the minute that uh, that the exchanges either stopped airdropping their exchange token on traders or their exchange token crashed so much that it was basically no value. All the volume went away. And so you can look at these exchanges now, they have no volume. Or they've just gone into literally faking the volume, like printing trades that don't happen as sort of like a backup. Um, and none of them are important to the ecosystem. Um, I'm stretching a little bit. There's like one or two that came out of this still still relevant and important. But the vast majority, that was their whole thing. And, and once they stopped paying people to fake volume uh, or to wash trade or whatever, all the volume went away. And so, you know, technically, yes, there are trades being printed there. But like the reason you ask how much volume an exchange has is to answer sort of questions like how important is it? How much liquidity does it have? How important is it for pricing? Where should someone be advised to trade? How bright is its future? How much money is it making? And none of those questions were answered by by this volume number. Like the volume number is sort of like, you know, completely air thoughts volume. Okay, so let me just summarize this really quick. Exchanges were offering tokens. The tokens had, had a value. People were figuring out that they could trade on those DEXs and make more money getting those tokens that were offered by the DEXs than they would on the maker and take it fees on these, on these trades. So they were making a profit getting tokens that were being rewarded to them for trading on these DEXs. Am I correct? Sort of. So that's what happened with the centralized exchanges 18 months ago. Okay, that's ago. a centralized exchange. Yeah, so okay, this was gotcha. all centralized exchanges 18 months ago. And it sort of ended in this big scandal. And everyone's like, all right, that was silly. I don't know why we cared about that. Clearly, this was fake volume. All those exchanges are tarnished. There's like exactly one exchange that sort of went all in on this and emerged healthy. And that was BitMax because they sort of like got all this press and publicity from their transmining. And during that time, they like frantically tried hard to build a good exchange and, you know, built a good product, built up a user base. And then they turned off the trans mining. It's now completely gone. And what was left was actually a good product and, and you know, a good team. And, and, and so people actually started using it for real. Um, but all the other ones sort of just died because they had nothing left. Um, and, and some of them imploded sort of horrifically, Fcoin being one of the biggest examples and, and sort of lost all user funds and stuff. So um, not all, but, but most. So, so now fast forward to today and what's going on with most DEXs. And this isn't true of all DEXs, but it is true of most. You know, what you see is basically like, a variant on this. It's like economically very similar, but rephrased because they're AMMs. 
Instead, what happens is basically various parties, and sometimes it's a DEX itself, in the case of you know Uni or Sushi or Sake or, or one of these, sometimes it's a third party who's airdropping their token for complicated reasons, are paying people to provide liquidity on the DEXs. And so what this means is basically, if you take your assets and lock them up in one of Uniswap's liquidity pools, or sushi swaps, or sake swaps, or, or any of these, then you get sort of paid each day in the, the, the DEX token for doing it. And so you get a similar equilibrium where all of a sudden it's, it incentivizes a ton of locked assets. So that means that these total value lock numbers are kind of bullshit. They're heavily subsidized. And, and, and really the question you want to answer is, well, if you got rid of the subsidies, how much would they be? Um, and it's hard to answer that, but certainly you'd guess a lot less than with heavy subsidies. So the total value lock numbers are, are kind of bullshit. But then how about the volume numbers? Why are those bullshit? Because generally for like somewhat arbitrary reasons, these are not actually incentivizing volume directly. They're incentivizing total value lock. The somewhat random reasons, honestly, are that that's what uh, all of the sort of aggregator websites decide to rank people based on. And so everyone just decided that was a metric they're going to fake because that, that seemed to be what people were looking at. So, okay, so now you have, you have all this sort of inflated total value locked. But the thing is that on an automated market maker, locking value means providing liquidity. So the way you lock value is you take some USDC and you take some ETH or, or WETH or whatever, and you, you put them together in the USDC WETH pool. And that basically locks you into providing liquidity on that pool. So if you take a million dollars of each, you lock it up there. You're sort of saying, hey, world, there are 30 bit fees from takers to makers. Feel free to trade against me. I'm forced to accept the trade in either direction if you want to pay me 30 bips for it. And so all of this sort of like capital builds up in these pools and, and it's just like kind of sitting there waiting to be picked off as soon as markets move. Markets move up 50 bips, a bunch of people come in, buy. Buying from the people frying liquidity, they make money trading. The people frying liquidity lose money on that trade, but that's subsidized because they're making more money on the airdrops of the token. And so it's sort of indirectly mm -hmm. subs it's directly subsidizing the total value locked. And that in turn is sort of subsidizing the volume. And impermanent loss is sort of the, the, the like politically correct phrase that people have decided to use for doing a bad trade in DeFi, like sort of doesn't count for some reason. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> so, so you call it impermanent, uh, mm -hmm. which just means that like if prices then reverted, you would make back that money. But of course, maybe they won't. Maybe it'll keep going in case you lose even more. So it's that sort of like the food chain now in most of these AMMs. Um, but it's sort of still indirectly very heavily subsidized. Really, the thing you want to be thinking about here, there's some like just noise and loss from the fact that it's indirect. But sort of the high level is like, look at how much total value is dropped on on the product each day from these airdrops. And then you look at the net fees that the protocol is charging users. The equilibrium point, the point of like zero real economic activity um, should be where basically people pay, you know, as many fees sort of as the airdrop size. Because until you get there, it's just sort of positive EV, take your capital and like go farm with it. Mm -hmm, um, maybe it's not mm -hmm. quite that because you're locking up capital. So you have to, to build in return of capital into this. <laughs> but it gets even more fucked uh, because do you know what the net fees are on most of these AMMs right now? No, please let me know. So it's it's frequently quoted as 30 basis points. Like that that's sort of what's used for many revenue calculations. This is not the right number. The right number is zero. Mm. So it's 30 basis points fees that you that you pay if you take on the protocol. It mm -hmm. doesn't go to the protocol. It goes to the providers, the makers. Right. And remember, those are the people getting incentivized. So in fact, it, all it does sort of shifts around these markets by 30 bips. 
Um, but there's there's no net loss between the two people trading against each other in these AMM to fees. And so you can sort of scale this up pretty big, given that like, you know, you, you quadruple the volume and still no one's paying any fees net. And, and, and so you can get like pretty, pretty, ex, you know, extreme numbers in terms of total value locked in volume, given that there's no cost to it. It's sort of zero fee trading and it's heavily incentivized. Okay, so I have a couple of questions that came out of this. And first of all, thank you for explaining all of that. That's it's yeah. actually quite interesting. Um, my initial questions are, are, are twofold. The first one is these ex- exchanges that, and we're going to talk about uh, centralized exchanges, that did benefit off, off of this you know, at, at the beginning. And now you said that they come out with a good product because of this. They made money off of this. They made, you know, they did make maker and takers, even though the volume is there. Right. Uh, and then they have this, you know, fictitious token that they, you know, poofed out of thin air, dropped it down a creative, you know, some uh, some price from yep. somewhere from by, by this. But they benefited. And then they benefited by putting that back into the ecosystem. Is it fair to say that without this kind of unsavory business plan, we wouldn't have the innovations that we have or the actually movement in the crypto space that we have today. So therefore, it's a, it's a, or the lesser evil for the greater good. It's a really good question. And it totally could have been. And, and, and that dynamic, like there's nothing that means that sort of like means that can't have been the dynamic. And in some cases it was, I think BitMax, it was BitMax rose to fame uh, in decent parts of the volume numbers that I got from the trans mining, but it used that opportunity to build a cool product. And I'm, I'm sort of pretty happy for how that turned out. Like, not super happy that they did the trans mining, but it was among the most defensible of them. Um, I, you know, and, and I think another way to see this is, yeah, you know, they sort of trans mining by selling a lot of their exchange token, basically. But, you know, there, there was something of value there. That exchange tokens were something. That was, unfortunately, the exception, not the rule. The rule, mm. you know, what almost everyone does was once this is all said and done, there is nothing left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at at places like Coin Binet, um, you know, Fcoin. Um, these places are not the places that push the industry forward. They're not thriving ecosystems now. They didn't take advantage of the time they bought themselves to build a great product or, or, or you know, develop a really loyal user base. They just dumped all their exchange tokens. Now they're worth nothing, and the exchanges never innovated. Now they're dead. And right. so, you know, it could have been what you said, but in most cases, it wasn't. In most cases, the result of this was the exchange token goes to zero. The exchange loses all their volume as soon as the trans mining ends. And they never innovate. They never push the, the industry forward. And you sort of like come out the other side, like, boy, that is kind of pointless. And and then you sort of pointed to another thing here, which is like tracing the flow of funds. Because the centralized exchanges, there's a variety, but most of them did have fees, did have non-zero net fees. A few of them had zero fees. But most of them had non-zero net fees. And so, you know, synthetically, people were buying the exchange token. You know, you could sort of like treat that volume rather than trading volume. You like take out a factor of like 10,000 and then treat that as like the volume buying the exchange token. And and then sort of, you know, that's the economic thing. So the exchange is making money. Also, they're giving up a bunch of their exchange token, which directly means giving up a bunch of their future revenue. And again, in a few cases, that, that was sort of like an interesting thing, I think, with like BitMax. But with most of these, there is no future value. There is no exchange after this was done. They made some money off of it. The exchange tokens are nothing. I don't think they ended up making a fortune off of this. I think they ended up making some money, but I think that money was just like what it took to subsidize the cost of building a new exchange. And right. so like really, where did all this money go? This money went into duplicating all the work involved in starting a new exchange like 100 extra times, um, which was sort of a deadweight loss because none of these exchanges took that startup cost and then justified it 
by adding something real. I'm going to put in my two cents with this one. That the view that you're taking is a little cynical as if we look at companies that, that are in emerging industries, you know, everything. There's teams, there's leadership, there's ideas, and there's innovations that either make it into the space or do, don't make it into the space. And that space is wherever you're talking about. If you're talking about the crypto space, if you're talking about the, the internet boom or, or, or what, what have you, real estate, anything that might have to have some sort of innovation to keep uh, relevant. So w- when you see these companies fall off and they are making basically money off their tokens or trading or what have you, uh, they, they, you see people put money back back into their system and other people just you know just mismanage their funds as well. I mean, we've seen in all in ICOs different companies in the crypto space that just had bad leadership, bad had great ideas but just bad leadership, bad execution, bad innovation, bad bad foresight, all kinds of different things. So I would say that it's not just maybe uh unfortunate but just maybe just the way of business if I would or innovation in in the in the markets, I, I guess when I'm looking at volumes and, and things like that, especially, I mean, I just looked at FTX volumes, uh, uh, 24 hour volumes. You guys are at, I think, what 670 million dollars in 24 hours. I look at that and I go, hey, that's much how much money they're making. I take maker and taker fees. I look at that right. volume and I go, I go, they're making this much today, and I'm like, okay, that's how much they they should be investing into their companies. When I see this, because I am the average consumer, I'm not, I don't have a Dex or a centralized exchange. I am not, you know, deep in the industry like like you are building and innovating and, and dealing with this every day. I look at these volumes. I look at people like you and I go, go this is confidence building for me as a consumer, as, a, as an investor to say, I am going to put money into crypto because look at the volumes, look at the innovation, look at it skyrocketing now. I did a podcast just the other day that went centralized exchange versus the DEX. The DEX is, is DEX going to over, overtake the centralized exchange. But now that I'm hearing the volumes are bullshit. Now that I'm hearing that there are, you know, kind of different business plans involved with token the tokens of the exchanges or the volumes or what have you in centralized and decentralized exchanges, I have now lost confidence in this industry. Is that a fair ex- assessment as an average consumer to look at these volumes that might be manipulated, might be falsified, looking at all these things and go, is the, is is crypto really the way forward? That's a really good question. And and I'll sort of unpack it into two pieces. Um I know you said, you know, I'll have to debate the first part, but you know, I Oh no, go ahead, please. You, you know, <laughs> I do agree in part with it. Like I, I think that like there's a way of phrasing this, the hopeful way, which is this is just another token sale. You know, it's sort of weirdly mm-hmm. phrased, right? But it's sort of basically you're selling your token to your users and you also get some publicity in the process and then reinvesting those funds in the product. And I have no problem with that. You know, if that sort of is morally the right phrasing of what's going on, the devil's in the details here. But yeah, that's a hopeful phrasing. Of, and I think that, that to the extent that that sort of is the, the sort of like, you know, really at its heart what's going on, <laughs> I, I, I think that that can be healthy. Um, now, there's as it turns out, in many of these cases, it's not. In some it was, but in many, it's sort of hard to look at the progression here and think that there was like real hope that this was going to be innovating and pushing the industry forward other than by teaching people how to fake volume better. In many of these, there's sort of like never innovative products coming out. The hope, their, their best play was to take users from a, a slightly superior product by incentivizing them. Um, and getting publicity, and, and then sort of coast on that, and, and 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 as soon as that started falling apart, they just gave up and walked away. Um, and, and like as soon as the incentivization end, there's not a great product, and they never kept working on it. So it's sort of like in practice, the majority of the time that this was done. And again, there were exceptions to this, and Bitmax was an exception. But the majority of the times that this was done, the the sort of fact that it was hard to follow exactly what was going on was a key piece of it. In fact, the key piece of it, which allowed them to, you know. Basically, I uh, get away with sort of an overpriced token sale without on a product that no one had 
had a whole lot of excitement in. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think in practice, it was in general not done in, in a very helpful way, although it could have been. Um, that's on the centralized front. On the decentralized front, I actually think it's more complicated. And now we get to more of the, the sort of second piece of this, which is, and I think that like two examples that I want to take here, or a few examples are like Uniswap and SushiSwap. I want to ignore the things that like, were sort of like obviously stupid from the day there started. Like you, there's some of these yield firms, just like no one ever thought it was going to be innovative. You know, everyone's right. like, yes, obviously they just chose the, the first food they thought of that no one had taken yet. <laughs> and then ported some code and like, let's see how much we can sell this token for, right? Let, right? Let's sort of put those aside. There were some in, in DeFi where that wasn't the plan. That's definitely not the plan with Uniswap, right? Like Uniswap is doing this. They also pioneered the product. Like clearly they innovated, you know, and they're, they're still building today. I mean, it's unclear what, because it's sort of not public yet, but at some point they, they will release, you know, they'll release V3 and, uh, and, 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 you know, clearly they haven't thrown in the towel. Like this, this, this is in fact, at least intended to be sort of the healthy version of this. And I think the same is, you know, true of SushiSwap. Now, obviously a lot of things went wrong in that process, but sort of ignore that fact, you know, the intention was to have a similar thing where there's sort of incentivization at the beginning to get users and, and raise funds, but that it was going to be a real new product and philosophy. And, and in fact, it has kept building and, you know, it now has features other AMMs don't with with some pretty big ones coming along the way. So, you know, in those cases and some more, I mean, I think that that you can look at, everyone is doing yield farming now. Almost every major DeFi project is. You know, I think like Compound, Aave, Balancer, Cream, Uniswap, SushiSwap, and, and, and a bunch of other DeFi projects aren't the scammy version of this. Like they, they clearly were the whole time intending and, and have followed through on, on, on building things. And so then, you know, what's sort of the right interpretation of that? And I think the answer is like, not to morally judge this space for it necessarily. I don't, I, you know, I don't sort of hold ill will towards the, the DeFi space for having done this. I think it's maybe the right decision for their products. And I think that it's like not being extremely deceptive. I, I think that like the, the thing you do have to do though is to adjust your metrics. And I think this is really the key second point here is that whether or not you think it's healthy for the space, and in some cases it is, it also has this consequence making the numbers everyone's looking at means something different than they're expecting. And it means that if you look at total value locked or a volume on one of these products, you just can't compare it in a meaningful way to what you would find with, you know, Binance, Huobi, OKX, FTX, Coinbase, you know, any of these sort of like major centralized exchanges that are are not doing this because one is heavily incentivized and the other isn't. And so you sort of have to like discount all of these numbers quite a bit. Fine, you know, that is what it is. You know, you could say it's not their fault for that, Although clearly part of the point was to, to inflate those numbers in some cases, though not in others. But I think the big thing I say is, you know, putting moralization aside and the judgment of the products aside, when you're trying to decide how much adoption they really have, at least long term, you have to put a pretty fat asterisk next to all of these numbers, you know, all the value lock numbers, all the mm-hmm. volume numbers, um, anything that claims to be revenue, things like that, because they're all heavily subsidized. And really the question you want to be asking is, all right, how about when the subsidies are done? Then what's up? What what's the long-term sustainable level of this? But it's not being subsidized and and it's sort of like unclear. Like it's really hard to know because all of these platforms have grown so immensely over the last few months. And a lot of that is because of the subsidies, but some of it isn't. Some of it's real growth. And it's a little bit hard to pick and pull apart what's what and to get a sense of this. Now, one thing you can do is look at what happens to one of these projects if they do turn off incentives. 
Now, no one really has. It's a little hard to do this, but you can look at what happens when they turn incentives way down, right? So like Sushi Swap turned incentives down by a factor of 10. TVL went from like a billion to, you know, 300 million or something. And its volume went from like 400 million to 100 million when that happened. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it dropped a lot, but it also now you can sort of read the numbers and say, okay, these are substantially less incentivized. These are closer to the long run numbers, although they still are incentivized. And they turned on fees, the 5-bit fees, which also sort of pushes it in the direction of, of numbers that you can interpret straightforwardly. And so you can look at a lot of these protocols when incentivization goes down a lot, see where they sort of like, what level they end up with to get a sense of maybe what the real numbers are, but it's so hard because almost none of them are, are have gotten rid of incentives completely. And so it's, it's, it is really hard to pull apart these numbers. But I do think, unfortunately, that one of the takeaways here is all these numbers saying like DeFi volume is now up to you know 15% of CFI volume, like yeah that gets a pretty big asterisk you know you... that's that's a really that's a really good point and I, I want to go back to my uh, my question from back there you answered a lot of the question but not the I guess specific of the of the question that I, I really wanted to ask and this can be the last question to ask and and the asterisks you, you just said when it comes to volumes, again, the average person, the person that isn't in the business, the person that doesn't know about incentives or, or yep. to, you know, uh, or, you know, subsidies. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the volumes. I'm looking at the so-called innovations, the so-called uh, popularization of crypto assets or, or cryptocurrency or blockchain tech. Yep. I'm looking at that in, um, as, as I say, an investor, not me or in general, just say is the average person is looking at that as a way to gauge is this a growing space? Is innovation coming out of this? Is this the future? But when you have all of these different incentives and subsidies and baked in financial schemes that trick the average investor or even the sophisticated investor, is it reasonable to say that the owners of these exchanges, I'm not saying this directly as you, but the owners of these exchanges are making bunches of money off of our naivety? It's a really good question. And I'll give you two answers to that, because I think the answer is only sort of. And and, and, <laughs> really, like, okay. and it really gets down to exactly what you're pointing at, because there's just wild swings between different users. I'll point to two types of users. The first type of user is someone who's like, oh, I want to exchange between, you know, Bitcoins and Tether or Ether and Tether. Let me choose a venue to do this. And they're not thinking about decentralization. Let's put that aside. So, you know, obviously if someone wants to use a DEX, then, then that's a separate question. But someone who doesn't give a shit, they're just like, look, I just want to do a trade here. Where should I go? What metric should I use as an approximation of like really where the volume and liquidity and, and, and stuff like that are in good execution? They're going to get tricked by these numbers. They're going to go the wrong place. Uh, and they're going to lose an extra 25 bips on all their trades because of this. That user is definitely grinding down a bit from this. Um, now, the truth is there haven't been that many of that user. The actual user growth of these platforms and number of users is not that big. It's very concentrated in sort of like crypto insiders. Um, but but yeah, like to the extent that like random new user crypto is trying to choose their platform is not going to do them good. Hmm. Now, hmm. there's a flip side to this. Well, there's a few flip sides to this. There's a second type of user who ends up way worse, although more of their own fault, which is someone who just like buys random shit and, and like indiscriminately and then ends up with a lot of things that go to zero. 
right? You just like buy. Hey, hey welcome <laughs> to my world. <laughs> right. You know, like roll a die and you can look what's happened. You know, roll a die comes up 78. You're like, all right, cool. I'm going to buy hot dog today. You know, you're not gonna, <laughs> like that, that user not done well. But now we get to, to a third type of user. And a third type of user is the farmer. And the farmer has done quite well from this. Some of this is trading against the first two users, but not most of it. Most of it is actually in some senses legit. And, and just the way to ballpark this is like, in general, DeFi protocols have dropped a substantial fraction of their total supply on farmers. That substantial fraction of their total supply, what's the valuation of that? Let's take it, let's pretend that you trust all DeFi market prices right now. Maybe you don't, but you can sort of later multiply or divide by whatever you think the right factor is. What is sort of the market cap of, of the tokens that have been dropped as yield on users? I think you get like mid single digit billions of dollars over the last few months. Um, it's sort of a big number. You know, I mean, it is in fact like millions of dollars per day has been dropped total from yield farming on users and for free, sort of for free in return for, I mean, phrase it how you want, right? Using the product, inflating the volume, whatever. So in some sense, you want to trace this back and say like, is this all a zero sum game? It depends on what you think the sum should be. But um, some of the answer here is, well, has all started either because no, there's this enormously positive sum trade for users, which was splitting up the dividends of this giant crop, all the yield that all these projects were dropping. And that, you know, the DeFi space voluntarily gave up you know, a quarter of, 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 of all of their projects to, to, you know, the project gave, gave that up to users that create billions of dollars of net value to lose to users. And now they're all kind of divvying this up by playing their various roles in the ecosystem. And so it adds up to a net, very positive number for users. Now, of course, if you include the projects in that, then you're back to a negative number because all that value is value that the projects quote unquote lost because they no longer have those tokens. You know, you could think of it an act of charity. I don't, I don't know. They're, they're sort of like, depends on exactly what your reference class is. But there is that third group of users, the farmers who have done quite well to this. And in some cases, not in all, but in some, they've done so well that it leaks into even the sort of like most retail users making money out of this accidentally because the farmers just like accidentally leak some of their yield to other people through various transactions because there's so much of it. And so that's sort of maybe the more hopeful take on it is that, look, all this attention that it's getting completely makes sense given that it's billions of dollars. That was not a volume, but of actual net win to the people participating in this system over the last few months. Again, of course, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of the projects, not like a net win for the space and that's whatever. There, there's sort of a lot of ways of phrasing this, but that, that's sort of the way of phrasing it in which it sort of is most good for users. And in that way, it's been substantially net positive for users. Note that there's been a billion dollars lost to ETH miners. So you, you gotta kind of write that off. So clearly the, the, the sum's gonna be negative. I mean, she's burning electricity for all this, but, 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 you know, if you're sort of willing to mark projects to zero or, you know, the, the value of projects having their tokens to zero, then there has been sort of net wins to people. Sam Bingman free CEO of FTX and new owner of sushi swap. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> uh, having this conversation with me and um, dude, I've learned a lot and I have a new, I would say you gave me a new skepticism yet still I hang on to hope in the crypto space thanks to this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have hope too. I think it's as much as I'm skeptical of some of these things, I think there's a lot of potential. So thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. On tomorrow's show, what I think is the most important use case for blockchain technology.
That is, voting on the blockchain. What could fundamentally be different in society if all our voting was secure, counted, and verifiable? That's coming up tomorrow on the Decrypt Daily. Happy hodling.